Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Happy New Year to every single one of you. It's a massive privilege. This is my first Sunday back and uh, I'm thrilled for what's ahead. Um, just to let you know, uh, Mark and Candice are up in Durban uh, already. Uh, this weekend they're preaching up there at the church, Anthem Church. If I don't know if you've been following the story online, but just a remarkable thing. Anthem Church is a great church that we are in partnership with and support and love and have dear friends there. But on, on Christmas Eve, the lead, uh, lead uh, leaders couple, the lead couple, they, they were involved in a car crash and their daughter was on death's door. And uh, it was on that, on Christmas Day, Mark flew up there to be with them and for three days they were processing uh, what life would be like when their daughter passed away. And uh, there was lots of prayer that went around, and, but the diagnosis was that she was going to die, a 13-year-old girl, and it was just the worst way to end the year. But uh, Mark went up there to process that, and they put in pla- plans in place for the first few weeks of the year on the presumption that the worst would happen. So Mark was going to go up there just to make sure, actually, if this has happened, he's able to help shepherd the church in that moment. And yet God is incredibly faithful and kind. And that story, which was going to be the, the full stop on a terrible year, became the comma for what God has yet to do. Because that's, yeah, it's amazing. It is phenomenal. If it is, it has become literally, it has become front page news in Durban on the Mercury newspaper, front page news of this girl's recovery and what God is doing. They thought she would be dead. The second diagnosis said if she lives, she'll be brain dead. This little girl is awake, alive, talking, interacting. And this has been two and a bit weeks after this near fatal accident. And uh, so Mark's up there this morning, not to console the church, but to celebrate with them and to charge them that actually we do serve a God who's alive and a God who's still doing the miraculous in our midst. And I don't know what news you all came to hear this morning, but I want to tell you, I believe this year God is wanting to do the miraculous in our lives. I'm excited and I'm looking forward to it. So very, very exciting, but he'll and Candice will be back next Sunday, and uh, so uh, everything will be back to normal next week, so then you'll get rid of the redheads, which is wonderful for most of us. Thank you, Jen. I appreciate that. Just get my name right next time. But anyway, <laughs> but the sermon title this morning is uh, Moving Forward. Moving Forward, if you are taking notes, because uh, I, want, I believe that there's an innate desire in the human heart, in every single human heart, to change. There's this desire for more. There's desire for better. And it seems like at this time of the year, there's a, a sense of promise, a sense of what could be, that there's a, a, a deep sense of, actually, it's time to make progress in my life, to, to put away the things that have been and move forward with what lies ahead. And, and I don't know about you, but there's this palpable sense in the atmosphere, in people's hearts at this time of the year in particular, that there's this, this will and this desire to move forward from addiction. People saying, actually, this is the year I'm going to move forward from it, to move forward from past habits, to move forward from financial constraints, to move forward from negative emotions and experiences. There's just a sense that actually in our hearts, it's time to move forward. It was similar to, to what happened to me the other day. I was driving in my car and it was a one lane road. And I know it was holiday times, but I just still feel no matter the date, people should still drive at least the speed limit, at least the speed limit. You know those people when you're in the car and you're driving, and that person's driving 30 or 40 k's an hour, and you're like, oh my goodness. And you're trying to see, I know it's a solid white line, but you know, is there any car? And you, just, and you start getting a bit frustrated. Is this just me? I'm just nervous, and, and I have to remind myself that, that, that I'm the head and not the tail, that I am a Christian, <laughs> that actually this is, I'm a pastor. <laughs> you have to respond a certain way. 
But you know that sort of moment, you get a gap and you overtake them and you look at them shaking your head because you're going, it's, it's as dangerous to drive that slowly as it is to be speeding. No, you're just not happy. And, you, and at this time I roared past the person. I won't mention who they were or what sex they were. And there's no, no, don't worry. Who cares about that? But it was a woman. Anyway, I drove past her. And, uh, and I remember, and I pulled past angrily, you know, shaking my head. I pulled up to, as I got around, the light went orange, and then the light went red, and I had to slam on brakes. And this little car came slowly behind me, sitting there, and you're just like, hmm, this is not good. And I, I wanted to show her that, you know, actually, this is how you drive. So I sat there revving, you know, as soon as, watching the other light. When that light goes amber, I'm ready to go. You know, you've got to be per- people on the front foot. That's who we are, people on the front foot. And I remember revving this car and putting the car through the paces. I'm like looking at it, yeah, this is how you drive. Come on. It's 2019, we've got places to go. And uh, as the light turned green, dropped the handbrake and started to go, but I forgot that I was still in neutral. <laughs> and my car almost moved backwards into her, and I had to slam on brakes, apologize, I'm so sorry, I, I really apologize. And it was one of those embarrassing moments, you, you put it, grind the gears again to gear, and you pull off very haltingly and jarringly, and, and everything's a bit embarrassing at that moment. But I, I want to tell you this morning, as I was doing that moment, that actually, we were made to go forward. We are made to be people who are moving forward, not people who are reluctant on the back foot. And I want to shake us out of apathy this morning, shake us into the more that God has got for us. But I really believe that every single heart here desires, and every heart in the world desires for the more, desires for change. But a lot of us are coming up short when we're trying to work out what is the power to do that or sustain that. And this morning, I want to help us. My thesis or the undercurrent of what I'm trying to put forward here is that I believe this statement for you and I is that it's our position that determines our progress. It's our position that determines our progress. And I want to say Life Changes Church, I believe it, whether you have come from the worst year or the best year, if you've had the, the worst week or the best week, or if you are so nervous about the year ahead or you're, you're chomping at the bits, I want to tell you Life Changes Church, because of Jesus Christ, you are positioned for progress. You are positioned for progress. And all this talk of progress, moving forward and taking ground leads me to this moment. Can we stand to our feet? I'd love to pray for us before we get stuck into God's word. As you stand, just close your eyes, open your heart wide. I believe God wants to shift things in our hearts this morning. Father, I pray as we stand this morning and as we actively engage our hearts with your word and your spirit, would the forward momentum of the gospel be implanted deep in our hearts? Would it stir us afresh and move us forward from where we are to where you would have us to be? I thank you for this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. Before you take a seat, why don't you high-five five people and tell them your position for progress. Tell them your position for progress. Come on. This is church. If you only did three or four high-fives, you can stick around later and come give me one. It'll be good. Fill up your tank. But this morning, I'm wanting to take us through a narrative, a story that's found in scriptures. We're going old school. We're going Genesis this morning, the book of Genesis and uh, Old Testament. And uh, it's a great story, the narrative that has captured my imagination uh, and and my heart for a long time. But it's a story that revolves around a family of four, a family whose uh, parents are Isaac and Rebecca, whose children are Esau and Jacob. And it's this incredible story that starts in chapter 25, if you want to go read it about these four, this family of four, but uh, moves this and weaves its way all the way through the, the rest of the book of Genesis, has its fingerprints all over it. 
But it starts with that Jacob and Esau, the, or Esau and Jacob were, were twins. They were twins who came out at, the, at a similar time. Esau, the oldest. Jacob, just, just, second, just a few seconds behind Esau. But what I love the story is, because I don't know about you, sometimes I'm reading the Bible and it feels like God is speaking to me. Have you ever had that moment? Well, this story is that for me, because I started to read this this week, and I saw it said this. I started to describe Esau. It said, Esau was red and hairy. And I said, Lord, I'm listening. I'm listening. What have you got for me, God? God, you're speaking to me. And I want to tell you the similarities between Esau and me don't stop there. You see, we told that Esau, he's described as an alpha male. You know, just the similarity. I was like, God, this is me. You know, he was a, like, as the scriptures tell us more and more, he was a, he was a hunter. He was a man of the outdoors. He was, he was a, a Bear Grylls type character. He was, he was a jock equivalent. I know, I know. So if you want to picture, it's me. And uh, this incredible guy, Esau, he was his dad's favorite. Why? Because I, I could, my imagination went a little bit wild. I thought, what would his life have been like? This was Esau, your A-type male, who would have gone to renowned Cape Town Southern Suburbs School, would have been head of the BE, you know, and maybe, maybe even made it to head boy. And uh, after that, he would have, he had the favor of the teachers. He was the, the favor of his pupil, of his, of his peers. And he went to UCT afterwards, and uh, he played semi-pro rugby. And, uh, and, you know, he gave that all up because he went to go study a doctorate. You know, he had it all. No, he was also a ladies' man. As we read scriptures, this, the ladies were swooning at this guy. Red and hairy still holds sway today, let me tell you. But this is Esau, this A-type male, who's just a, he's a guy who you can imagine he spent Saturdays at Builder's Warehouse just, just browsing for some DIY equipment. This was Esau. But then you keep reading, and you stumble on his younger brother, the younger twin, named Jacob, and he is the antithesis of Esau, the absolute opposite. He was, where Esau was loud and front-footed, Jacob was reticent and probably quiet. If Esau was dad's lad, Jacob was most definitely mommy's boy. As we read scripture, he was actually, commentators would say that Jacob was still living at home with mom and dad at the age of 60. Yeah, this is Jacob. My main man, Jake. You know, he was a guy who moisturized. This was Jacob. He was a man who was, uh, he was very, always, he was always a, far, a long way away from the DIY uh, stands. And this was a guy who probably fought over the TV remote to make sure he didn't miss one episode of MasterChef every evening. Go Sashi. Anyway. I, and I love it. As I keep reading, read the stories. Jacob was, this is just for free. He was playing bad with girls. Let me tell you, when he goes to find a wife, he, he stands behind, he hides behind some rocks and spies on some woman for a while. And when he sees the one, Rachel, who he loves and he's fallen in love with, he goes up to her and his first encounter with her is this. He kisses her and then cries. It's in the Bible. This is Jacob. Now let me tell you, that one, I've tried it, it doesn't work. Doesn't work. But this was Jacob. But more seriously, Scripture starts to tell us about this boy, Jacob. And we actually get a different picture of him. He is deceitful. He is manipulative. He is a con artist. He's a profound liar. And he's a guy who probably fought for his dad's affections, but whenever Esau and, and, and Isaac, his dad, would go and play catch, Jacob, uncoordinated, probably sitting at home watching, wishing he could get on an action, and, and a wound starts to fester inside of him. You see, as you read scripture, you realize that even the narrator of Genesis who some commentators say was Moses, others say someone else, but whoever wrote it, the narrator favors Esau. In the story, as they write it, you don't find any good stories about Jacob. 
the, the, even the narrator is rooting for Esau. Go Esau! And there's this guy, Jacob. That, that's, this is the scripture we stumble upon today. You see, you never see a good chapter about Jacob. He was that outcast guy, the guy on the sidelines, the Hawkeye of the Avengers, if you will. This is just for those who love Marvel. Anyway, topical. But then we catch up with the story in chapter 27 of Genesis. Go read it at home a little bit later. And we find Isaac, the dad, and the scripture tells us that he's old, blind, and about to die. And it comes to this incredible moment where he calls Esau in, the eldest, his, his, his possible favorite. And he says to Esau, my beloved firstborn, he says, I'm, going to, I'm about to die. I want you to go do something for me. I want you to go into the wilderness. I want you to go kill some animals. Put on the briar like only you know how to. Get the Robertson spices just like you do. Prepare that meal, Esau, that I love. Bring it into me, and then I want to bless you. And I can imagine this moment, Esau's heart started to beat fast as his dad has promised him a blessing. Now, you see, we have to slow down here a little bit to understand what, what is meant here because that word blessing in their culture held much more weight than it does for you and I today. When somebody just says, bless you when you sneezed, or, or if they say, I want to bless you with something, it's, 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 it's good, but in that culture, it was ultimate. When, when the father called in the firstborn son and said, I want to give you a blessing, my blessing, especially when it was near his death, it was the, the giving of something called the primogeniture, which is the firstborn blessing, the something that Esau would have been waiting for all his life. His whole life had stalled up to this point, waiting. Yes, he was successful in other areas, but his life could not begin until his dad gave him the firstborn blessing. He was longing to move forward. He was longing to step forward, but was waiting for his dad to say, I'm going to bless you. What did that blessing carry? That blessing in, in that culture actually carried three things, three very key things. When when Isaac would die, he would bless his firstborn son, and his firstborn son from that moment then would take over the leadership and the headship of the family. He would become the head. He would make all the decisions, financial, where they're going to live. He would make all the decisions. He would have ultimate headship over the family. Secondly, that blessing would also lead to the fact that he would get a double portion of the family inheritance. So everything from that moment, they divided up the inheritance. It would be two for Esau, one for everyone else. Two for Esau, one for everyone else. So there was leadership. There was financial inheritance. And thirdly, there was also something called the right to the covenant favor of God. You see, this was a family that flowed with the blessing and favor of God from, great, from grandfather Abraham to dad Isaac. And he was going to pass on that blessing that God is looking favorably upon us. That where you go, God will bring success. Where you go, God will bring blessing. And these three things, spiritual, emotional, and financial blessings would be bestowed upon the firstborn son. So can you imagine this moment where leadership, inheritance, authority is about in every single sphere, is about to be given. The doorway is both about to a future, is about to be opened up to Esau. And his dad says, go and make me a meal, bring it back, and then I'll bless you. Esau runs out of there, gets his crossbow, and he's off. He's off to do that. But this story takes a turn. We find that there's uh, the the mum of the of the story, Rebecca is listening in, and she she's overheard that actually the moment has come where Isaac is going to give the blessing to Esau, and 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 Rebecca who is a, who favors Jacob runs over to Jacob and says Jacob press pause on Master Chef I've got something important to chat to you about. And he says actually you know what's going to happen Jake is that Dad's about to bless Esau but I've got a plan 
where you, you deserve the blessing. You actually, what, what is fate that you were just a milliseconds behind your brother, you now become the second born? You know, actually, what is, what is it that your dad has shown unreasonable favor to the, to your, to Esau? Actually, I think you're getting cut in on this, and actually you should have the future that your brother has. So Jacob says, thanks mom, that's kind of you, but how are we gonna do that? He says, she says, actually, you know what you're gonna do? Go get me two goats. I've watched Esau prepare his meals. I'll prepare a meal that's very similar, that hardly will taste any difference. I actually go use the same spices and make it an Esau dish. And she says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go into your brother's closet. You're going to get one of his jackets, put it on. You're going to go get his cologne and put his smell on. And she said, actually, I've got some from the goats. I want you to shave off some of the hair, and I want you to put some of that hair on your face because, you know, smooth shaving is not going to work here. Put it on your arms. Lather yourself up with some of that hair. And actually, I want you to go in there, and you're going to pretend to be Esau. Jacob's like, mom, 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 this sounds, sounds, thank you for being on my side, but this sounds fool, foolishness. This is foolhardy at best, because if, if dad finds out, I won't leave there not with a blessing. I'll leave there with a curse, because I've tried to cut in on this sacred blessing ritual. And this is when Rebecca, she says something that's quite profound. She says, actually, don't stress, Jacob. If that happens, let the curse fall on me. I'll take the curse. And this, this grand charade starts to happen. And this uh, amazing story starts to move on. And actually we find that actually this is not just a, a story about Jacob and Esau, but actually as I started to read this, I started to realize that this was a story about you and I. Maybe you're sitting here going, wait a minute. I don't see how we fall in this. But actually you see, Rebecca was starting to play right here on the two weaknesses that had dogged Jacob's life. Lies and the struggle for blessing. You see, Jacob came out the womb, the Bible tells us, that he was clutching on the heels of his brother. His birth was, his, his birth was marked with him trying to fight for the way forward, try, fight for, to be the first in line, fight for that. And actually, if you keep reading all the way to the end of his story, one of the last occurrences we find in Scripture is him wrestling with an angel and holding on to the angel saying, don't leave me till you bless me. From the beginning, he's holding on to a heel for blessing. At the end, he's desperate for a blessing. In the middle, he's desperately doing anything to get the blessing because this is a guy who feels, I just want to move forward. I just want to take ground. I cannot stay the same. I need the future that is, that is ahead of me. I need it. But he just can't seem to get through for it. And I want to tell you, I think this is our issue and our pain because I found myself way too often never fully revealing myself. I find too many people, you and I, always never fully revealing ourselves, hiding our pain, hiding our internet history, hiding our financial statements, hiding our shameful secrets, but desperately longing for approval in the future. I think that you and I are a lot similar to Jacob than we first imagined. But you see, back to our story, we find Jacob moves in. He does what his mom tells him. They cook the meal. It smells good, just like Esau cooks it. He puts the jacket on. He puts the cologne on. He puts the hair on. He's feeling a bit silly. He looks in the mirror, tries to lower his voice. My name is Esau. It doesn't quite work, but you know what? If if mom thinks it's going to work, I'll go for it. And he stands at the precipice before going in to see his dad, the precipice between blessing and cursing. His heart beating out of his chest saying, is this gonna, will I walk out with blessing in the future or will I work out, walk out with a curse and not able to ever, ever recover from that moment? And he takes a deep breath and he steps into the room with his dad. And his dad, who's old, blind, and about to die, says, Esau, is that you? You've come back way quicker than I thought. And Jacob says, yes, dad, it's me, Esau. And his dad sits up and goes, I can imagine the inner monologue going, that, that voice sounds like Jacob, but it says it's Esau. 
So, so, he, so he's a bit confused at this moment. And he says, actually, if that's you, Esau, come closer, please. So this is the moment Jacob moves closer to his dad, and he comes closer, heart beating, holding the, the, the food in his hands. And his dad reaches out and starts to feel the frame of Jacob. Feels the arms, the hairy arms. He feels the face and the, the hirsute look of that face. And he goes, it sounds like Jacob, but it feels like Esau. It feels like Esau, and his heart starts to settle. And he says, great, come closer. Thank you, thank you. And then Jacob says, thanks, Dad. I'm, I'm so excited for this moment. Dad sits back again and goes, that voice, though, sounds like Jacob. Sounds like Jacob, but he says, you know what, maybe I'm going a bit senile here. Bring, bring me that food. He starts to taste of the food and eat of the food. And those spices that he knows so well that Esau makes start to fill his nostrils and fill his, his, his being as he eats. And he goes, it sounds like Jacob, but I'll know that stew anyway. That's Esau. That's Esau. I'll know. That's Esau all over that dish. And he starts to feel calm again. And the story goes on. And, and Jake, he says, Jacob, I'm gonna, uh, Esau, I'm going to bless you. And as Jacob leans forward and comes closer, and he says another thing, the father starts to get a bit nervous and goes, this is a massive moan, but this sounds like it's Jacob. But as he's having all these doubts inside of him, he catches a whiff of the cologne. As the, as, the, as the jacket gets pulled across and the smell of the cologne reaches the father's nostrils, Jacob goes, you know, it sounds, Esau says, Isaac says, it sounds like Jacob, but I'll know that smell anyway. That's, that's my firstborn. That's Esau. And the story comes where he says, come forward. And Isaac blesses Jacob with the firstborn blessing. He gives Jacob the blessing, the secondborn. He gives him the firstborn blessing. As he gives him the leadership of the home. As he gives him the double portion inheritance. As he gives him the authority and the direct line and blessing, covenant favor from God. He bestows the full weight of the firstborn blessing on the illegitimate Jacob. Now, Jacob moves out. The story tells us that he was hardly out the tent when Esau arrives. And Esau walks in sweating from the hunt. He's come with the meal and says, Dad, I'm here with the meal. And you can imagine if this was a movie, the, the shock and horror that comes upon Isaac's face as his, as his brain starts to work out what has just happened. And he says, no, 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 it can't be you, Esau. I've just already blessed somebody with your blessing. And Esau drops the plate to the floor, shatters the ground. He says, what, what do you mean, Dad? What do you mean? That's what I've been waiting for. My, my chance to move forward. My opportunity. What have you done? He says, no, no. I think I've blessed the wrong brother. I've given the wrong brother the blessing. I've given the wrong brother the future. And Esau says, how can this be? Surely not, Dad. And Isaac says this profound things. In a, in, a, in a translation, he says to him, he says, the crook has got the blessing, but the blessing has to stand. Now, there's this bizarre story that we find here. And, and, and maybe you're sitting here today and going, what good is the story? What are the, what are the moralistic things we need to drag from the story? Not many. But actually, as I started to read this, I get to, I got a bit confused myself saying, this is a strange story. A strange story where the wrong guy gets the blessing. It feels like the liar gets the blessing. How am I supposed to copy this? What am I supposed to implement in my life? What am I supposed to learn from the story? Well, as I started, kept reading, there comes a story in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. We find a man named Moses. Now, Moses was a man who lived in Egypt, but he had been expelled from Egypt, run for his life because he'd murdered somebody. And we find Egypt, uh, uh, Moses in Exodus chapter 3 in the back end of the desert in a place called Midian by Sinai, running for his life. His future that was over here has been shrunk to very little as he's been hiding away for 40 years, stalled for 40 years, never making progress for 40 years. But it's at this stage that he sees a burning bush, he approaches it, and a voice comes from the, vo the bush, and it's God. 
And now this is the first time in scripture that you'll hear God introduce himself. And this is how God introduces himself to a man named Moses, who is hiding at the back end of a desert, far away from his future, somebody who has stalled his whole existence. God introduces Moses and says, Moses, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And, and Moses says, who are you? And God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now that phrase for all the rest of the scripture will be repeated again and again by the Jewish nation, all the way even up to today. The Jewish people say, we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But this is the first time that God t- says, this is who I am. Now, let me tell you, Moses, you would have known the history, would have known the family history, would have gone, God of Abraham, I get it, because he's the father of our faith. He was the man who believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. He's the man who was as good as dead, but believed God, and actually God put the seed inside him to impregnate his wife's womb, who was, was, was barren and it was 90-something years old, and that from that seed, life has come and the blessing of God has come. I can understand why God is the God of Abraham, a man who responded in faith. Because, and Isaac, I can understand why God is the God of Isaac. Because Isaac is the promise of that faith. Isaac is that faith made sight. Isaac is the, the promised child, the, the, the blessing of God given to Abraham, our forefather. I can understand why God is the God of Isaac. But why would God be the God of Jacob? Jacob is a liar, a crook, a, a thief, somebody who hijacks his brother's future. This is a shocking thing. This is a disgrace because Isaac, Jacob was actually a second born. Somebody who should not have got the firstborn blessing, but cut in on there. And actually, this is somebody who years later, God had redeemed and called, said, Jacob, from now on, you're going to be called Israel. But when God introduces himself to Moses, he doesn't say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, the best version of Jacob. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the trickster, the con artist, the second born. This should shock us. It probably shocked Moses. It should infuriate us. It should make us angry that this is not how it was meant to be. But I want to tell you today that this story of a father giving a blessing to the wrong son is a story that actually finds its way all the way through Scripture to another father and son. The son's name was Jesus. And you see, Scripture tells us that Jesus describes him in Scripture again and again. Jesus was the firstborn among creation. Colossians 1 tells us Jesus was the firstborn among the dead. John 3.16 tells us that he was the only begotten son from the Father. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our older brother. Jesus is the firstborn, the one who deserves the blessing, the one who deserves the future, the one who's earned the future, the one who gets the blessing, the full weight of authority from the Father. And the Father was besotted with him. Jesus comes to earth, and if you follow his narrative, everywhere Jesus went, he called God his Father. He said, my Father, Abba, Dad, my Father. And that's what infuriated the religious elite of the day. How dare you think that you can have access to God as a Father? That's sacrilege. But there's only one time that he doesn't call him Father. It's when he's on the cross. And Jesus on the cross at that moment doesn't call God Father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want to tell you this morning that on the cross, Jesus became the curse so the blessing could come to the secondborns, the illegitimates, the crooks, those who could never deserve a future. Let me tell you, on the cross, Jesus became our true Rebecca, 
who says, let the curse fall on me. Let me tell you that on the cross, Jesus dressed up like us, put on our sin. He put on our past. He put on our emotional instability. He put on our rejection so that we could be clothed like him. Let me tell you, this gets better and better because I want to tell you this this morning. That maybe you're sitting here today and you, I don't know what has been behind you and I don't know what looms large in front of you. But in this moment and going forward, the enemy might stand beside you with the father looking upon you, God looking on you, the enemy, Satan saying, God, you cannot bless this person. God, you cannot move this person forward in their lives because you know what they've done. You know what they've done. They're a sinner. And the enemy starts to say this. The enemy will say, you can't ever give this person a good marriage. Sure, he's he's trying to make big changes, but this is the 17th time he said he'll change. He'll never change, God. You cannot bless him with a good marriage because he's got a huge temper. She's an adulterer. They're a cheater. You cannot give them a good marriage. Satan will stand there and say, this guy's praying and trusting. This woman's praying and trusting for true intimacy. You can't bless them with true intimacy, God. Because they've suffered abuse or because they've handed about out abuse or because they've been addicted to pornography for years. They are disqualified. They're sinners. Satan goes on and says, you can't give them a future for their kids because they've made bad decision upon bad decision upon bad decision. They're not trustworthy, God. You say, Satan will say to them, You'll nev- he'll never have a good relationship. They'll never be able to, to fix a relationship with their kids because they've hurt them too bad. Let me tell you this morning, the great news of the gospel is this. The enemy, the accuser of the brethren, is going to be accusing and accusing and saying, you can't bless this person. You can't give him a future. They're sinners. You know what the father says? That sounds like a sinner. You're right. But let me feel him. Feels like my son. So he goes, no, 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 no. He's a sinner. You cannot give him a future. You don't know what they've done. Yeah, that sounds like a sinner. But let me taste. Taste like the blood of the lamb. Taste like what my, my firstborn did on the cross. No, no, that's, no, no, no. You can't bless him. You cannot give him forward momentum. You're right. That sounds like a sinner. But let me smell them. It smells like forgiveness. It smells like redemption of my son. Let me tell you this morning. That you want progress, you want blessing, you want to to move forward in your life. It's not in your promises, it's not in your pledges, it's not in your personal attempts to do better. I want to tell you today, your position determines your progress. Your position determines your progress. Your position determines your progress. Stop moving towards your sin. Stop moving towards your pain. Stop moving towards your disqualification. Stop moving to your secrets. Stop moving to your excuses. Start moving toward the healer. Your position determines your progress. Today, I really believe that there are a whole lot of Moseses sitting in this room. A whole lot of Moseses who feel like they're sitting at the back end of a desert who's saying, I'm a million miles away from my future. I feel like I've disqualified myself so bad, I don't even know where my next next step forward is coming from. I'm sitting on the, in the back of years of rejection, back of years of abuse, back of years of addiction. How am I ever going to start to move forward? And God introduces himself to you this morning. He says, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. And I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God of Gabriel, the porn addict. I'm the God of that guy, the adulterer. I'm the God of the broken. I'm the God of the reject. I'm the God of the thief. I'm the God of the liar. I'm the God of the future because I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want to tell you, 
This is the good news of the gospel. Two implications as we land today. Two things for you and I this morning. Number one is that God, when he met Moses at the bush, the first thing he was here was take off your shoes. Take off your shoes. What I mean by that is that God cannot bless who you're pretending to be. Stop dressing up your sin and calling it something else. Stop putting on masks and saying, I'm okay. God, God won't heal pain that's not given to him. God won't forgive sin that's not brought to his grace. Take off your shoes. Abandon the, that thing of that fragile form of safety that you've, that's kept, kept you tethered to your past. Take off your shoes and come and worship him. Because he is holy. He is worthy. Secondly, though, take off your shoes. Secondly, put on Christ alone. No one can move forward except those who find their refuge in our older brother, Jesus. Root yourself in him every single day. Because when you do that, you can come with to him with confidence. Worship. If you want to know how to worship God, you cannot worship him wearing your shoes, clinging onto your past. Take them off. You cannot worship him when you hold it wearing anyone else's garments except Christ alone. He is our access. He is our breakthrough. He is our future. Jesus is the blessing of the Father. Why don't we stand to our feet this morning, please? Your position determines your progress. Why don't you lift your hands if you're comfortable? I want to pray a blessing over your heart, over your family, over your year ahead. As a whole bunch of Moseses are called out of deserts. A whole lot of Jacobs are called out of disqualification. As the Father says, I am your God. And if you want to move forward, you trust me. I pray right now, Father, the blessing, the dew of heaven to fall upon every single face here today. I thank you, Jesus, that you in this moment, people are taking off shoes, are taking off excuses, they're taking off rejection, they're taking off pain, they're taking off failure, they're taking off all the things that have been associated with their past. We're taking them off today, and I thank you, Father, people would not walk out of here clinging onto their shoes, but saying, actually, God, you are holy. I repent. I lay it before you. I thank you, Father God, in that act, you match us, you meet us, without you clothing us in our older brother, in the firstborn, in Jesus' garment. You're saying, yeah, it might sound like a sinner. Yeah, that might sound like a failure, but it feels like my son. It tastes like the blood of the lamb. It smells like redemption and forgiveness. And I thank you, Father God, that every single heart that has been stagnated, every heart that has been stuttering, every heart that has been slowing down or slipping and sliding, I thank you today, sons and daughters, run home. Sons and daughters run into the future because the Father speaks, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I thank you for this as we receive the fullness of the blessing of Jesus. Because our position determines our progress.